The psalmist said it clearly in the 90th rendition of the book of Psalms. For all of our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. There is a story behind every person in this room today. We all have a story. There's a reason why we are the way that we are. And that's comforting to know that. Why don't you tell someone around you, there's a reason you are like you are. Tell them that right now. There's a reason. Also, there is a reason why we're where we are. There really is. In Peter's first New Testament letter, he gives principles that should be practiced one person to another person, specifically with how to deal with persecution. It was a topic that was of utmost importance as Peter wrote. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. Everyone say a reason. A reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I am thankful as has been already stated a couple of times In various settings, even this morning at this church, I am thankful for the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. I am thankful for the hope that is evident in God's church. In fact, I will say it at risk of sounding a bit cliche-ish, if you need hope, you're in the right house today. You're in the right house. Peter said, be ready to give a defense to everybody, and when they ask you the reason for the hope that is in you, be ready to share that reason. Everyone shout it emphatically, there's a reason. reason. Look at someone near you and say, there's a reason. From my earliest memories, I recount sermons about Pentecost. Those who gathered at one time in one place, as Acts chapter 1 and 2 tells us. It was a multicultural, multi-generational group. And we celebrate the initial and the powerful outpouring of the Holy Ghost as is stated in Acts chapter 2. And there exists, if we're really honest, almost an ethereal, surreal element to the day of Pentecost. We read things like the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Divided or cloven tongues like fire sitting on each person in the upper room. The sound, the admitted wonder, confusion, amazement, and doubt. It's almost mysterious that something that climactic could happen at one time. How could something as enormous in scope as the 
outpouring at the day of Pentecost transpire so powerfully? Was it just right people at the right time in the right place? I would submit no. I submit that for three plus years, a man from Galilee named Jesus had been teaching. He had been blessing. He had been healing. He had been eating with publicans and sinners and challenging the Pharisees. And when you get all that put together, you get all that seed put in the ground, there was a reason for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Without a doubt, the Bible is very clear. There is a strong transactional element to this thing called life. We conduct ourselves a certain way. We get certain results. We sow and we reap. Paul said, don't be mocked. Don't be misunderstood. What a man sows, he will reap. What I put in the ground will come up. You and I in this room right now, I've decided I'm going to preach it straight and I'm going to preach it clear today. There are no magic potions in this room. There are no people, listen to me, that just get it because of their last name or their heritage or how long they've come to church. I am no better than you, and you are no better than me. Every one of us has the opportunity to put good seed in the ground. And if we put good seed in the ground, we can expect a harvest. Come on, I'm going to bust through it in the Holy Ghost today. There's no magic potion. There's no vaunted last name. You put it in the ground, you can expect it to come up. Amen. Now, there are some things about living for God that I cannot truly explain. Grace and mercy being two of them. I cannot adequately explain how I can receive God's mercy in spite of my failings. I cannot adequately explain grace that is extended to make up my shortcomings. I think that's why the writer said it's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I cannot understand peace that God gives. That Paul told the Philippians goes beyond my understanding. Is there anybody in this house? You haven't quite figured it out yet and you don't want to figure it out. His amazing grace and his abundant peace. But please hear me today. When it comes to success in living for God, we do not possess success simply because I endure. I don't get a crown just because I go through some stuff. Apart from my response when I go through some things. Paul told the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 9, those things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Is that clear enough? Paul said, everything you've learned from me, everything you've received from me, Everything you've heard me talk about, 
and what you've seen as a witness with your eyes. Those practices, those things, do them. And the God of peace will be with you. There is a path. Would you say that with me? There's a path. There's a reason. We may have good excuses today, but I don't have good enough excuses. Can I say it collectively? We may have good excuses today, but we don't have good enough excuses. Paul told the Romans in Romans 1 and 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So please hear me today. If God is seen in all that he has made, how is anybody deceived? How does a culture go so quickly down a path away from God? How does it spiral so far so quickly? I believe it is our Bible that answers the question, how did we get where we're at? Let me ask you a question. How many of you in the last two, three years have thought to yourself, the world has gone mad? It feels like we are on a hypersonic sled to nowhere, and it's speeding up. Anybody here? I'm not saying this for giggles or laughs. Anybody here, you look at what used to be righteous and it's now marginalized as intolerant and we think to ourselves, how in the world did we go from that to this? What brought us to that place? Has the devil just been loosed a little bit more? Or is it just that people are evil more? How did we get where we're at, where there is rampant evil and vicious backstabbing and envy, a culture that is addicted to violence, bickering and cheating and mean-spirited and God-bashers and bullies and arrogant and cruel individuals, cold-blooded people? You say, wow, that's really defined in 2023. Actually, that is Paul writing the book of Romans from a city of Corinth, which had been called the Sodom and the San Francisco of the Roman Empire. How do people go from knowing the one true God to being bound by a catalog of 23 vices in just a few short verses in Romans chapter number 1? How does that happen? happen well to try to understand how our modern society has arrived where it is today it is very important to realize that when a culture or a civilization collapses it does not happen overnight it's not like a controlled demolition it's more like a slow crumbling of an abandoned building. It happens over time. Decades. 
centuries may pass. The decline of a culture and a civilization, it's not uniform. There will be periods of stability and then periods of accelerated collapse. It's kind of like when a whole wall suddenly collapses. And we realize that though it was standing for a long time, there was internal difficulty, internal damage, things that were being uh, in the area nobody could see. And over time, everybody say over time. It's not quick, it's not superficial, but over time it affects the whole. In the end, there is the collapse of a society. And it is evident and obvious that that culture has changed. Dramatically. Often it seems as though it has turned a complete 180 degrees. It's amazing to me how quickly we have got to where we are at today. It is in the book of Romans, chapter number one, that Paul, faced by this type of culture, declared it so. Although they knew God, They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. How does a culture get from where it was to where it is today? Paul makes it clear. The first thing that happens is there is a lack of true worship. We are a culture and a society that is built on worship. Listen to this preacher right now. We will worship Something. You say, I'm not going to worship God. I'm not into all that that calisthenic stuff. I'm not going to worship. I'm not a worshiper. Oh, yes, we are. We will worship something. We have a society addicted to worship. And yet Paul made it clear there is a telltale sign of a culture in reverse. And that is the lack of of true worship. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. It is not just enough to have a knowledge of God and that He saves, but it's what I do with that knowledge of God. It's me lifting up my voice and lifting up my life and worshiping the one true living God. The testimony of the Romans was that they knew God, but they did not glorify him as God. Let me tell you one of the greatest safeguards you and I can make from a church descending into the same abyss that our culture is in right now. If we keep true worship strong. 
If you and I show up every Sunday and every Wednesday, every small group night, every time we get together and we say, I've made up in my mind, I'm going to be a worshiper of the one true living God. Come on, brother. Every time you lift up your hands, you're raising up a hedge against a culture that is out of orbit. Come on, I made up in my mind. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to worship the one true God. I don't just know him. I'm going to worship him as God. You say, how do we glorify God? How do we bring glory to his name? Glorify him as God. We'll let the Bible interpret the Bible. First Chronicles 16 and verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His wonder among all peoples. For the Lord is great. And he is greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are idols but the Lord made the heavens honor and majesty are before him strength and gladness are in his place give to the Lord O families of the peoples give to the Lord the glory and the strength give to the Lord the glory do his name bring an offering and come before him oh worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness oh I wonder if there's anybody in this house that has made up in the mind I don't just know God but I'm going to glorify him as God I'm going to worship him as God I'm going to fight against the culture of this day come on I wish someone would just go ahead and praise him for a moment right now come on I wish someone would praise him for a moment right now Come on, young adults. Come on, young people. Maybe you want to praise for an elder right now. Maybe you want to praise for a guest right now. I will glorify him as God. Come on, I feel like we need to do, take a time out and just worship him. Take a time out and just praise him. My worship glorifies him as God. I'm fighting against this culture. I'm fighting against this culture. I'm fighting against this culture. Come on, mama, you were made to praise God. Come on, daddy, you were made to praise God. I will glorify him as God. Woo! Come on, new life, we can't be like every other church. I'm not pitting this church. I'm not responsible for any other church. That's between that man of God and that church. But I've made up in my mind with the breath I have in my body, I'm going to be a worshiper. I'm going to challenge us to worship God, to declare his glory and declare him as God. As God. Brother Ronnie, I don't just know him. 
I glorify him as God. That is how important our worship is. Because our worship fights against the slide of a culture. Anybody feel like every once in a while when you come into a corporate setting like this, there's something so refreshing about it? Why? Because we walk out of that diabolical culture that is against everything of God and we walk into the presence of God and you can praise Him, you can glorify Him, you can worship Him. That's why that feels so good. Praise God. Be seated. Be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you for praising him. Thank you for worshiping him. Thank you for glorifying him as God. We glorify him as God. So true worship is lacking in a culture that's sliding away from God. Secondly, there is a lack of thankfulness. Nor were they thankful isn't it amazing why the psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving <laughs> and come into his courts with praise. Hear me right now. Let me preach to some needy people in this room, including this guy up here. My prayer time must not descend into need-centric praying. Is there a time for that? Yes, it's in the Lord's Prayer. But we begin with thankfulness. We begin with thanksgiving. Oh, I'm preaching right now. I'm as anointed as I'm going to get all day right now. Folks, you, every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room have needs. And some of us have long requests. And it would be so easy to come into prayer and come into the house of God. And every time the worship leader says, let's all pray right now, we go to the top of the list and start working our way down. But here's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says we enter His gates with thanksgiving. I thank you for health today. I thank you that I can see with my eyes today. I'm thankful I can hear with my ears today. I may not be able to jump real high, but I'm thankful I got legs to operate. I thank God for my church. I thank God for my church family. I thank God for the Bible. I thank God for friends. I thank God for a sound mind. I thank God for a home to live in. I thank God for a car to drive. I thank God for a family that brought me to church. I thank you, God. Come on, it's when you and I begin to thank him, he draws near to that. He draws near to that. He draws near to that. Here's the thing, folks. None of us, if we just take this out of the spiritual realm and talk personal and practical, none of us like people who just always come up to us needing something. Let me try to rephrase that. We like them, we love them, we don't care for the practice. Barry, give me some money. Barry, give me a job. Barry, I need this, I need that. Is Barry a great guy? Is he going to do everything he can to help? Yes. 
But what if I entered in that conversation with Barry? Thank you for sitting on the front row at church. Thank you for being such a great worshiper. Thank you for being a giving person in, in new life. Thank you for raising a family in the, in the faith. Thank you, Barry. What happens? It opens. It brings us closer together. There's something about thankfulness. See, thankfulness fights against this downward slide of a culture that is out of orbit. Thirdly, this culture of our day declares their own wisdom. But Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. I know best. No, I don't. You answer for yourself, Pastor, but I, I got it figured out. No, you don't. Let me tell you how, how important this is. Pride, James says, God resists the proud. Pride and conceit is a devilish attribute. I want to speak that into the culture of this day. Pride and conceit is synonymous with the devil himself. That's not just another choice. That's the devilish attribute coming out. It identifies us with Lucifer's mindset. I will ascend, Isaiah 14. I will exalt my throne. I will be like the Most High. I will do what I want to do. I know better. I will decide. I will be both judge and jury. How does a culture, how do we get where we're at? We get where we're at when pride and conceit are professed. And in professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Fourthly, in a culture out of orbit, there is a rejection of holiness. There is a rejection of holiness. Paul said it like this, they changed the glory of God into an image like man. In other words, in that culture and ours today, instead of God being separate and alone and holy. He has now been brought down into an image just like any other man. The God who was at the beginning of time. In the beginning, God Say, where'd God come from? He just always is. He was God when no one else was around. He was God when nothing was created. He was God before there was a separation of light and darkness. He was God before the firmaments were parted, before the dry land appeared, before man was formed. He was God. 
He was separate. He was holy. There is no God like him. He said, I looked around and I saw there is none like me. He's holy. He's separate. He's alone. There is no other substitute. There is no other God like this God. There is no one that compares to this God. There is no one as high as this God. There is no one as holy and as compassionate and full of grace and mercy as this God. There is nobody like this God. And yet a culture descends into the abyss when it pulls that excellency down and in turn raises man's opinion to where that God is just another option. How did we get here? We as a culture got here because there has been a rejection of his holiness, his separateness, his aloneness above every other God, Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, there's one body and there is one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Fifthly, and I'm coming to a close. How did we get where we're at? It came because we as a culture got careless with the truth. Paul said they, one version says they changed the truth. Another version says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. It's a disregard for the Bible in everyday life. I got to make sure we get this. Because here's the thing. I don't have a foreboding word. I don't have some premonition. But we're not promised tomorrow. So this might be the last sermon I ever preached to this church. So I got to make sure every person that has ears will hear what I'm fixing to say right now. There is nothing in this world, there is no creed, there is no personality, there is no celebrity, there is no politician, sports figure, I don't care how much money they have in the bank, there is no person in this world that their word goes higher than this word. I don't care how many followers they have. I don't care how often they share their opinion. This has a whole lot more followers than that celebrity does. There are people around the globe. I am banking my whole life on this book right here. I am not going to exchange the truth of the word for a lie that is in the world today. 
Come on, brothers and sisters. We must elevate the Word of God. We must anchor to the Word of God. We must be deliberate about the Word of God. Young people, we got to stay in the book. Young adults, we got to stay in the book. New believers, this is the truth. It's the truth. And it is not for exchange. I don't care what the enemy promises you. I don't care what he tries to sell you. I don't care what that boy says or that girl says or that family says or who leads you down a path. Never exchange the truth because anything you exchange it for is a lie. See, at the core, at the core of this exchange is unbelief. And unbelief is a big deal. Unbelief is a heaven or hell issue. Come on, Pastor, tell me, is it a heaven or hell issue? I'll tell you what is a heaven or hell issue, belief or unbelief. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, Revelation 21. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You say, who's going to be in that lake of fire? It's just the people that are perverted, right? No, it's people also that do not believe. And part of our belief system is the elevation of the word of God as truth. I will not exchange the truth for a lie. Because we've already had one society and now a second society do that. And you see where we're at now. I will just say this. Our musicians can come. Let me say this too. What I did today, or rather this week, is I, I made some notes of the people in this room that I know that there were some who I reflected upon that you had a good relationship with God when you came into apostolic faith, and I thank God for that. But I have watched you as you have examined the scriptures and you have carefully opened up the book and you've decided to follow the truth rather than pop culture or what someone else says. And I want you to know as a pastor, I am so thankful for you. There is no greater joy that I have outside of my family and watching them love the Lord and serve the Lord and be involved in kingdom work. There is no greater joy that a pastor can have than watching someone look at the word and say, that's true. And I'm going to start living by everything that book says. I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for you. Finally, how do we get where we're at? It comes when there is a devotion to the creation rather than the creator. 
It's simply misplaced priorities. Here's what Paul said. They worshiped and they served created things rather than the creator. They worshiped and served things rather than the creator. Don't let things seal your eternity in hell. There is no thing that is worth missing out with God for eternity. There is no vacation. There is no vehicle. There is no pleasure. There is no created thing that is worthy of worship and serving like the Creator. See, this is the height of folly. It's the essence of humanism. When we lose the Creator in the creature. You're above all. You're above all. I hope that no one will quickly leave here today because I really believe in a moment when we stand, there's going to be a call for repentance. There is in my heart today because I'm just one person. But with everything inside of me, I'm trying to elevate him as the holy God. And in doing so, fight against a culture that is going in the absolute opposite direction of that word. But I've been guilty of getting too absorbed with the arrangement of this world. Here's what John said. Don't love the world. Don't love the arrangement of the world. Nor the things that are in the world. If any man love the arrangement of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are passing away. But he remains. He remains. Would you stand with me, please? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I hear a cry of the Spirit today for repentance. The psalmist said it like this. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. I want his glory to dwell in our land. I want his glory to abide with us again. I can't change the whole world, but I can do something about me. And I can do something about my involvement in the world right now. I'm going to leave it to you and what the Lord is calling you to right now. I'm not going to choreograph anything, but I believe there is a call of the Spirit to repentance. 
And when we repent, he will lift us up and he will let his glory fill the earth.